Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Another sugar-free Red Bull on the horizon for me in the near future. In this episode, I will be talking about the Angry Birds movie. I got a notification um, either on my phone or on email saying that it's leaving to be soon. And I thought, well, that's a movie based on a video game, so I should do it for the show. And boy, do I regret it. But I'll get to the Angry Birds movie at the end of the show. At the top of the show, I want to talk about a recent incident I had with Twitter. Um, If you're new to the show, I've been trying to stay off social media for the most part. Um, I have been off for the most part since for about six months. I deleted Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook off of my phone for basically for um, mental health issues, mental health issues. And I think Twitter is the worst. I, I just do. Um, I, I want to make a shirt that says we were not meant to express ourselves in 140 letters, characters or less. It'd probably be a terrible shirt, but that's where my mind goes. But anyway, um, I was trying to, because I make YouTube videos on Final Fantasy VII and drumming, and I almost missed a Final Fantasy event. Um, the only reason why I found it is because um, someone I follow on YouTube posted a community post and said, oh, I'm going to be out of town, I'm, I'm going to miss the event. And I saw that post two days after he posted it. So I'm like, man, I, I really almost missed this event. So I thought, unfortunately, Twitter is how people communicate these days. It's a real shame. It's how they announce um, news events and announcements on Twitter. So I figured, what if I just go on a Twitter account of mine and only follow like Square Enix or Final Fantasy VII accounts? So I decided that would be okay. Like that would still be limiting my social media. So I downloaded it on my phone and I went to one of my other accounts and followed only Square Enix. And immediately I I hated this decision because I still have to scroll down like way down just to get to posts by Square Enix. And then there's all these like accounts you should follow, follow this account, follow this account. And then they show accounts that you don't even follow, um, accounts that you might like, accounts that you should follow. And I'm like, I don't want any of that. I just want to see posts by Square Enix, who is the only account I'm following. And immediately I was like, out. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm already agitated. I don't like this. Um, So I deleted it off my phone again immediately. Um, It's just not, we're just not meant to be. I'm just not meant to be on it. I guess what I can do is just log into my account on my phone occasionally and then scroll to see if there's news. Like I would rather do that than have it on my phone because it was just such an annoying experience that, I don't know, I, I just hated it. I just hated it.
Um, let's get to the news beat. The news beat on this show is where I talk about anything interesting in the news in terms of uh, gaming or um, movies, TVs, just like geek news. So I'm looking at the gaming news, and I guess the big headlines for gaming news is the Samsung Gaming Hub. Um, let's just click, click, cluck, because it's Angry Birds. Samsung Gaming Hub, an all-new game streaming discovery platform now available on 2022 smart TVs and smart monitor series. So I, I wasn't familiar with this at all. I wasn't following this news article at all but um i got kind of excited because i have a samsung tv my wife actually won a 55 inch samsung smart tv from her work and it's a great looking tv it's pretty big it's probably too big for our tiny room um but this article says it's 2022 smart TVs. So I don't think my TV counts. Um, I guess you can play Xbox games on it. There's Stadia. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this applies to me. I don't know if it applies to you. Hopefully some of you out there are able to access this Samsung gaming hub. Uh, but again, there's that thing where... Um, I think Metal Jesus made a video a while back on Stadia and saying it's it's going to take a lot of power and energy to to play to stream games and stream games of these hefty sizes just through streaming streaming. So like there's a reason why, you know, PS5s and Xbox have so much power behind them because games require that. So um you know, people are trying to make streaming games work, but I don't know how reliable they're going to be. But they seem to think it's part of the future. But I don't know. I just paused the podcast for a good five to ten minutes because I was looking at gaming news. And um, Amazon had... Amazon was releasing news articles about... Uh, their Prime Day releases and their games that are part of Prime that are for free for Prime users that are expiring today. And I I don't pay attention to that at all. And I have Prime. So I'm sure there's a bunch of games I missed. Um, so I was like, I went down like a mini rabbit hole. I, I linked, I had to make a new Ubisoft account and I was like linking all these accounts and claiming all these games so by the time you hear this it'll be far past June 30th so I'm sure if you didn't check your Ju your June games for Prime then you're probably fucked uh, by the way the title of this episode is going to be the Angry Birds movie but this podcast is not for kids um, I wouldn't say so um, but the, the movie Angry Birds movie is for kids. So I, if you are a child, I recommend you stop this podcast now and go spend some time with your parent. 
Um, if your parent left you and your family, um, that sucks. You know, maybe join a big brother or big sister program. Um, if you're an orphan, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I hope you have some good friends that are um, establishing some sort of friend group and, you know, that provides some sort of foundation for you and your, well, I was going to say family, but you don't have one because you're an orphan. I didn't mean that as a slight. I was just speaking matter-of-factly. PlayStation Plus, I guess uh, Crash Bandicoot 4 is coming. I have that on Switch, so I don't know. I think we can move on from gaming news. I don't see that much. I, I Google gaming news because I've said before, I don't really have um, any sort of gaming website that I go to. But in terms of movies, I've been checking out movieweb.com. I can't really say I, I like it or or don't like it. I don't really have an opinion. I just read the the headlines and then I go from there. I, I realize that, you know, lists are popular just because they're kind of fun to read through. But lists aren't, aren't, aren't really news. So I don't know why I, they're not. They shouldn't be part of the news beat. But uh, what are you going to do? But I clicked on Best Tom Hanks Movies Ranked. So let's check this out. Let's see. 13, Sully. I really like Sully. Uh, my wife and I really loved Sully. We still reference... <laughs> There's this scene in Sully where they're, they're going up in the plane. And then I don't remember if um, Tom Hanks or... Um, Two-Face says birds, but every time we see birds, either I or my wife just goes birds. <laughs> uh, I guess you had to be there or it's it's an inside joke. Um, um, I think it's funny. My wife thinks it's funny. You might not think it's funny, but what are you going to do? Sully, I would probably put higher on the list, although... You know, maybe he wasn't the strongest point of that movie. It was just a really great movie. I I want to watch that again. 12, Cloud Atlas. No comment. I haven't seen it. Um, I heard he does some sort of brown face in it. Apollo 13, haven't seen it. Toy Story. Um, I like a lot. That first Toy Story movie is very good. Although I remember re-watching it a few years ago and I was a little disturbed when Woody kept saying, he kept calling Buzz an idiot. Like, you idiot? I don't know. Um, obviously, it doesn't bother me, but I was just like, this is a kid's movie. Why are you, you idiot? Uh, I don't know. It was a little weird, but a very good vocal performance for sure from Tom Hanks in the original Toy Story. At number 10, Toy Story, 1995. Number nine, Catch Me If You Can. I have not seen it. I believe he's doing a uh, a Boston accent. Number eight, Captain Phillips. Haven't seen it. Seven, Big. Um, if I have seen it, I I don't remember it well. I should revisit it. Um, I re I remember being aware of it as a kid, but I'm not sure if I've seen it in its entirety, but I know that's classic Tom Hanks. 
Number six, The Green Mile. Haven't seen it. Um, number five, Road to Perdition. Haven't seen it. Number four, Castaway. Haven't seen it. Number three, Saving Private Ryan. Haven't seen it. It looks like Vin Diesel is in this movie, according to this picture. Um, I, is that Vin Diesel? I'm going to look up Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Um... Do do girls do do people think Vin Diesel is hot? I guess he kind of has a um, intimidating aura about him, like he's a man's man. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan. He played Private Adrian Caparzo. Good for you, Groot. Good for you. Number two, Forrest Gump. All right, if number two is Forrest Gump. I'm going to guess what number one is. Um, the only thing that comes to mind is um, the Polar Express. Uh, that's a joke answer. Uh, Philadelphia, I'm going to guess. Yep, number one is Philadelphia. He kind of looks like Jude Law in this picture, which is kind of weird. Um Let's move on from that list. Next list. Maybe I should call this the list beat. That doesn't make sense. That this doesn't make sense. Nine great family-friendly horror movies. The picture is Nightmare Before Christmas. So, And number nine, Hotel Transylvania. I haven't seen it. My brother was... He texted me because he has kids. I do not have kids. And he texted me because the new he was saying the new Hotel Transylvania movie on Amazon Prime or Prime Video or whatever, they changed the voice for Adam, um, the main Dracula guy, whatever. And they said it wasn't Adam Sandler. And I'm like, I don't get it. He's he's the main dude. Why would they change it? And he was very bothered by the changing of the voice that it was no longer Adam Sandler. So I remember briefly looking into why they changed it. And I guess he and possibly Kevin James were working on a new Netflix animated uh, franchise. So he decided to break away from Hotel Transylvania and start a new one. But I also heard after that that Netflix recently fired their animation department. So maybe that didn't go through. Who knows? Who knows? Um, number eight, Casper. Uh, speaking of Casper, Christina Ricci will be in my movie beat later today. So that's kind of a a foreshadowing. Who's Laura Mulvey? That's the thing about these damn move, um, websites. They have a bunch of like ads and that's how they get you. Um, here's how... Laura Mulvey changed film theory with the male gaze. I'm going to look up Laura Mulvey to see who she is. I'm sure she's some hot girl. Oh, wait. Nope. It's a a British feminist film theorist who was born in 1941, so she's 80. Let's just... <laughs> um, because the picture... It's Megan Fox, but the picture was tiny, 
and it's her like leaning over in a car. I'm guessing it's from Transformers. And it says the male gaze, Laura Mulvey. So I must, I was assuming that she was a hot girl. I'm just going to name the girls in these pictures. I don't have time to read through this article. I'm on, I'm, 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 I'm in the middle of an episode. Um, there's uh, Megan Fox in Transformers leaning over. You could see her. What do you call it? What do the kills call it? Midrift? Spin drift? Um, masculine scopophilia. I don't know what that is, but um, it's Margot Robbie biting her finger nail. I'm going to assume that's from Wolf of Wall Street, but I, I don't know. Um, the bearer of meaning and not the maker of meaning. There's a picture of Snow White um, animated, so I don't know what that's about. Recent shifts from the male gaze. Um, there's a picture from Black Panther. Um, three black women. The lady from Walking Dead. I don't know her name. I'm going to look her up because I should know. I'm going to look up Black Panther. Because uh, Danai Gurira and Lupita Nyong'o, and I don't know this other lady's name, but uh, recent shifts from the male gaze. I, I, I should read the article. I'm not going to. I, I, I can't. I can't. Um, look at, look, let's look at some of these comments. Ridiculous. You're seeing what you want to see. What about all of the shirtless, muscle-bound male characters? Even the original Star Wars poster depicted Luke Skywalker with rippling muscles. Many actors like Sylvester Stallone lived very unhealthy lifestyles and did damage to their bodies to be shown off on film. And then um, someone replied, Let's not forget the frontal male nude scenes. Everything Ryan Gosling is in, every movie John Travolta's is in has a dancing scene, every awful rom-com, shirtless volleyball scene in Top Gun, every musical, every Broadway show made into a film, on and on. Um, and then another one. Money says, so saith a woman no one wants to look at. Uh, that's, that's kind of rude. Um. That was kind of mean. Um, that's all I got to say. Let's move on to the... What were we doing? Oh, Jesus. That wasn't even part of the list. I just clicked on another article. <coughs> Number seven, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's a black and white picture. It's from 1956. I haven't seen it. The Nightmare Before Christmas. I think The Nightmare Before Christmas is fun. You know, Pat and Pat Walsh and Joe DeRosa from We'll See You in Hell reviewed the movie. They did not really like it. They made some fair points. Um, story's not great, doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's just fun. And the characters are iconic, you know, Jack and Sally. Um, they even made it into a Blink-182 song. 
you know, it took, I heard that song long, when it first came out and it took me like years to realize when, when he said, we can live like Jack and Sally if we want. Like, it took me a long time to realize that was from Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, it's just a fun movie. And I love that it appears in Kingdom Hearts. Um, and I think the ca- the songs are very catchy. Um, I love that Danny Elfman is the singing voice and Chris Sarandon does a good um, performing acting voice. I, l- I like it. I haven't seen it in a while, but it, I don't know. It's fun. Number five, Beetlejuice. I'm not even sure Beetlejuice is family friendly. I watched it recently and I didn't really like it. I thought it was weird. It's just, and I know it's supposed to be weird and dark and and. I don't know. It didn't really work on me. Maybe if I watch it again, I'll like it more. I just thought it was weird and gross and it didn't work on me. I know that's blasphemy to hear for some. Number four, The Witches, 1990. Um, I, I liked it. I liked it compared to the new one because the new one had so much CGI in it. It was Redick, um, Chronicles of Redick. Starring, speaking of Vince Vaughn, Vince, Vin Diesel, not Vince Vaughn. God damn it. Um, the Witches, it's it's fun. And I like, what's her name? Come on, you can think of the name. I'm, ne- I'm not going to think of the name at all. Uh, the role that Anne Hathaway played in the new one. God damn it, just give me the name. Give me the fucking name. Where is the name? 1990. Angelica Houston. Jeez. Jesus Christo. Um, number three, Gremlins. I remember seeing it as a kid and being disgusted by the bubbling skins of the bad gremlins and the pustules and the it's been a while since i watched it um and we'll see you in hell has a very good commentary episode on gremlins check that out adam's family 1991 i want to revisit that as well pat walsh always says it's very funny and um it has some good dark jokes and I want to see Raul Julia again because I liked him a lot in Street Fighter. And here's a second appearance of Angelica Houston on this list. Number one, Jaws. Is that family friendly? I, I, I talked about it on this very podcast. I liked it a lot, but it's definitely... I don't know. It's It was pretty horrorific. Um... I guess maybe if you're like 10 or something. Because if I saw that as a kid, I would never um, I would never want to go to the beach. I would never want to take a shower because I'd have a fear of water too. Um, but that's your nine great quote-unquote family-friendly horror movies. The best murder mystery comedies. Do we need to go through this? Let me look at the list. Um, let me just go through it real quick. Number six, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, number five, Clue, 
Colleen Camp. Number four, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Jeez, um, is that Michelle Moynihan? She looks good in this picture. Um, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bit, me, me, me. Um, Michelle Moynihan, 2005. I, I've never seen it. Now I want to see it. Um, is it a mystery? Do I have this on Voodoo? I'm going to look this up. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Barbert Downey Jr. Um, this podcast is great, right? Um, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. You like me typing? So for some reason, I, I purchased it on Voodoo. I've ne never seen it. So um, probably I heard someone talk about it on a podcast and I proceeded to purchase it on Voodoo. Number three, Hot Fuzz. Haven't seen it. Number two, Manhattan Murder Mystery. Haven't seen it. Number one, Knives Out. Did see it. I liked it. You know, what's funny. I was just thinking of um, Woody Allen today because... I have this habit, you could call it a bad habit, of I watch something and I like it and then I buy a bunch of things related to that and then I forget about it. So what I'm talking about right now is I watched Rosemary's Baby and I loved it and I loved Mia Farrow in it, so I watched... Alan V. Farrow, the documentary, and I, I decided to buy three different Woody Allen collections, um, not to support the man who is a potential pedophile, alleged, but to, to watch more Woody Allen movies, because after watching the documentary, I, wanted, I was interested in watching his movies, and to see more Mia Farrow, and Joe DeRosa says, um, Hannah and Her Sisters is his favorite movie of all time. So I haven't seen Manhattan Murder Mystery, but I do have three separate um, Woody Allen collections. And then I kind of stopped watching his movies because I moved on to other things. So I, I have two downstairs in my room and one upstairs in my office. <sighs> Quote, unquote, office. It's not my office. It has my drum set and a bunch of trash on the floor. But this one has September in it. I haven't seen any of these. September, Another Woman, Crimes and Misdemeanors, which I heard is great. Alice, and Shadows and Fog. I should resume my Woody Allen, Mia Far my Mia Farrow marathon, rather. Mia Farrow marathon, not Woody Allen. Like, for another example is I watched um, Being the Ricardos. I didn't love the movie, but I I watched the documentary. I forget what the documentary is called, but it's it was directed by Amy Poehler. And it kind of had me reminiscing about Lucy. And I remember how much I love Lucy. And I actually bought the I Love Lucy collection. And I haven't seen one episode of it. That's something I do a lot. There is... So I'm on this 
best murder mystery comedies ranked, right? Not only are there links to other articles on the page, which I get, you know, you got to have all opportunities to click for more traffic. Yeah, I get it. It's a technique. YouTube does it too. Everyone does it. But there is a full-on tiny window of a an interview going on. And I got distracted because, like, I saw Barbara Crampton. I'm like, what's this about? And, like, this is why humans have um, a shorter attention span than goldfish. I don't know if that's accurate. Um, maybe not shorter, but it's it's getting close if we haven't surpassed it. Um, we did it to ourselves. We did it to ourselves. Um, I clicked on this. Six seasons and a movie community movie could be on the horizon, according to Joel McHale. Um, you know, I liked community. There are some episodes of community that I think are like classic episodes of TV. My favorite episode of Community is um, the, the Remedial Chaos Theory. I think that's the name of the episode. And it's my favorite because um, Gillian... What's her name? God damn it. Um, Jacobs, right? Gillian Jacobs keeps saying, she keeps singing Roxanne, and that's my wife's name. So my wife's never seen an episode of Community, but I showed her that episode. And it's a very funny, entertaining episode. You can watch that episode without having watched any episode of Community, and it's still enjoy enjoyable. Gillian Jacobs, she's 39 years old. She went to Juilliard. She got her Bachelor's of Fine Arts. Um, she is a teetotaler. What's a teetotaler? Um, a practice of promotion of total personal abstinence from alcoholic beverages. Good for you, Gillian. And I think I speak for most of the world when we all want to pronounce your name Gillian. Um, it doesn't say anything about a personal relationship to anyone else. So I'm a, I don't know if she has a partner or children. I'm curious. She's a beautiful gal. Um, is that inappropriate to say? Probably. But you know what? Let's move on. The last article I clicked on was the most powerful documentaries about the Holocaust. <laughs> Should I just move on? The Last Days. I haven't heard of it. 50 Children. This is already depressing. I don't know why I clicked on this. Um, there is many like us. Um, sounds uh, like there's wrong grammar in that. Hashtag and Frank parallel stories. What the fuck is that? Um, genocide. Shoah. One survivor remembers Hitler's children. Um, speaking of Hitler, Hitler is going to make an appearance in my movie beat as well. So I'll get to that. Let's move on with the show. Um, let me look at my list here. 
music beat um i got nothing as i've said before music doesn't really uh, speak to me these days so i don't have a lot to talk about music although i am still scheduled to go to a saves the day uh, concert in august um chris connelly is still allegedly a um terrible person but i enjoy the music selfishly i'm going to see i'm also going to a thrice concert but i've already talked about that the gaming beat where i talk about the games i've been playing i'm continuing with super mario odyssey you know i pick it up and play every now and then it's a good it's a good game i like it i want to talk about briefly about sonic um, I, I probably talked a little bit about this in my Sonic the Hedgehog episode or Sonic the Hedgehog 2 episode, but Sonic to me, the franchise definitely pales in comparison to Mario, of course, in my opinion. Maybe some people disagree with that, but Sonic, I'm always rooting for the Sonic franchise. Um, I have the nostalgia for Sonic, but Every time I try to play it, I just it's too fast for me, and it's just not as fun as playing Mario to me. Uh, it's not even close. But I'm always rooting for Sonic, and I'm glad that there are many new fans because of the movies. I enjoyed the first movie. I did not enjoy the second movie. And now there's going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and there's, a I think, a Sonic spinoff. So I'm glad that Sonic is you know, succeeding, quote-unquote. So Sonic Origins came out. And here's the thing, like, Sonic, they announced Sonic Colors a while back, and I got excited for whatever reason. I pre-ordered the special edition that came with the Sonic, Baby Sonic keychain. It came out, I played it a, a little bit, and I stopped after a few days. It's like, I'm not into the games, but I want to be. Like, I desperately want to be. So here comes Sonic Origins, which is like remastered versions of Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic 2, Sonic CD, and Sonic 3 and Knuckles. And it's $39.99 on the Switch, which for me is a lot of money, and I'm drowning in debt. But I got it. Um, and I will say, I am enjoying it. You know, I'll pick it up and play one stage, and then I'll put it down. And that's fine. That's that's fine for, enough for me. It's fun. Um, that's, that's really all, all I have to say. Uh, also, every now and then, I pick up... Um, Snow Brothers, I've, I've been playing the survival mode, so I'll, you only have one life, and you play as far as you can, and you try to score as much, as many points as you can, and then once you die, that's it. I still highly recommend um, so, um, Snow Brothers, and Sonic Origins is fun. I haven't tried the other games yet, but I look forward to it. I wish they gave a um, a physical release because I, I pr vastly prefer s physical releases. Also, in the gaming beat, um, I recently purchased Death's Door on Switch. I'm excited to check that out. 
Um, also, don't tell my wife, but I, I've, I've, I've been highly curious about the P- PlayStation Vita. Um, I, I owned a PSP. I still own it. I haven't touched it in a while. My favorite thing to play on it is Kid Chameleon, which was part of a, some sort of Sonic compilation. And there's no real reason for me to play Kid Chameleon on the PSP because it's available on the Switch. Um, I also like like Patapon. Patapon is fun on the PSP. But I've been curious on the PS Vita. And I always look like I look on Google, I look on YouTube, best games. And none of the games ever really... Um, speak out to me is that the phrase that's not the phrase that's definitely not the phrase but i don't know i'm just curious about it i didn't have a psp uh ps go or psp go and i'm curious about this ps vita um i've been seeing videos with like metal jesus rocks where he says um him and kelsey i think and they're saying like Sony abandoned it, which is a shame. And I saw a comment that said, if they just let us use SD cards or micro SD cards, it would have been a big hit. But instead, they used proprietary Sony PS Vita memory cards, which were very expensive, which I don't know. I don't know what happened. Um, I'm happy that Steam got in there with the Steam Deck. It's just, it's something to talk about. It's something new. And it's fun to, it's, the the more competition there are, there is, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be a part of that, the video game industry. I was very sad when Sega had to bow out of the, the console war, wars. I, I can't remember if I talked about this stuff already, but. Um, also, um, don't tell my wife, but I, I, I paid $5 to reserve a Steam Deck. And I, I want to play Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade on a portable device, and I'm very excited. But I guess it's, you know, according to reservation, in order of reservation made, so I don't know if I'll be able to get one. But we'll see. Uh, there's a reason why I have a whole segment on this podcast called Edmund's Sad Stuff, where I talk about things that bring me further into financial ruin, which I can't think of anything. Well, yes, I can. I recently bought a Black Snake Moan Blu-ray. I'll talk about that in the movie beat. Um... I think that's all I have for Edmund Sad stuff. Um, let me look at my Amazon. I recently paid to have my air conditioning fixed at my parents' house. That's part of Edmund Sad stuff, although it's not really geek related. Um, I purchased a Career Opportunities Blu ray. <laughs> is that exciting? Um, 
I also purchased Father of the Bride 1 and 2 because I'm excited to check those movies out again. I, I always thought those were funny, but I'm excited to show my wife those two movies. Um, I'm a fan of Steve Martin. I believe he grew up in Garden Grove, which is where I grew up in California. And also, it's it'll be good to see Diane Keaton again, although um, there's no although. There's no although. I also recently purchased Dr. Seuss's The Grinch Blu-ray. Well, actually, it's a 4K. Uh, I kind of wanted to show Scott Mosier some love um, after listening to Smodcast for a short while. I still can't press play again. Um, I, I listened to too much of it too quickly. I need another break. Um, so I think that's all for Edmund's sad stuff. Career opportunities we started, but we haven't finished it. I'm excited to finish it. Um, Jennifer Connolly. Let's move on. My voice cracked. Um, so let's get to the movie beat. In the movie beat, I talk about movies and TV shows I have been watching lately, uh, regardless of genre. So they don't have to be movies or TV shows based on video games or geek. They just... Anything I've been watching recently. Let's check the time. I'm already at... Oh, odd. I almost said Odyssey. Audacity is lagging. I'm at the 41-minute mark. The first movie I watched was The Exception. Um, I'm looking at Wikipedia. The Exception is a 2016 romantic war film directed by David Livaux in his directorial debut and written by Simon Burke, whose name is not clickable on Wikipedia, based on Alan Judd's 2003 novel, The Kaiser's Last Kiss. The film stars Jai Courtney, Lily James, um, and Christopher Plummer. The plot is a fictionalized account of the life of exiled Kaiser Wilhelm II. So, I'm going to try to give a, um, a synopsis of the movie, but I, I'll be honest. I, I was kind of checked out, relatively checked out, for the first hour or so of this movie. I felt it was kind of boring, kind of dull. But... Lily James, Cinderella herself, um, does um, show off her nude body in this movie, if you're into that. If you're a disgusting pervert who is into that. Um, here, here's the thing. So this movie is about, it takes place during World War II. And if I'm not mistaken... The first scene that Jai Courtney... So Jai Courtney plays an officer, a captain. And he first enters the house, uh, like, Christopher Plummer's residence. And he... Christopher Plummer is a an exiled Kaiser Wilhelm II. And the first introduction they have is Lily James plays Ma- Micah who is like a kind of like a, a maid or something, a servant of the residence. 
and she opens the door and they kind of just look at each other for a few seconds. No words are exchanged. And later on, like, or a couple scenes later, if not the next scene, um, Lily James comes to Jai Courtney's room. Um, he opens the door and he says to her, come in. And she comes in and they just look at each other. And I believe his next words to her are, take off your clothes. And she just kind of looks at him and then he says, please. And then she does. I'm like, is this how the real world works? Is this how you get women? You just look at them, pierce them with your with your stoned eyes and go, take off your clothes, please. And then they do it. Um, I've never tried it. I've never thought to try it. But she does take off her clothes. And, you know, they move closer together. And then she pushes her backside onto his person. And then she bends over. I'm like, what the fuck? Um, and then I started thinking, you know, this is World War II. She is a servant. He is a captain. So maybe she felt compelled to do so. Because he is a man of authority. And she was perhaps afraid of what he might do if she disobeyed him. Didn't appear that way, you know. She didn't appear to be scared. But so they have relations. And the movie is described as a romantic war film. And like I said, the first hour of this movie, I was pretty checked out. Let me check out David Laveau. Um... Um, I can't see anything that I, he's not like a big director. I can't see anything. It looks like the, the biggest thing he made is this movie, The Exception, released by A24. So basically, the movie is uh, Jai Courtney and Lily James. They form a relationship, but Lily James ends up being a a kind of a spy a British spy. She's working for Winston Churchill, I think. And um, basically, Jai Courtney and Lily James fall for each other. And then when the truth comes out, Jai Courtney was like, were you using me? Did you just use me? And she's like, no. And he was like, all right. And then Christopher Plummer is this exiled Kaiser and he kind of takes a shine to Lily James. I will say it's there is a certain cheesiness to this movie because I, I don't know anything about Kaiser Wilhelm II. Um, I was gonna say it's hard to believe that a, a Kaiser and a captain, a German Kaiser and a German captain, sympathize with a uh, a Jewish woman. Because Lily James plays a Jewish woman in this movie. But I'm sure there are more stories out there. Because obviously Schindler's List is a big example of someone sympathizing with German people. But there was a very chilling scene in which Himmler... Because Himmler comes to the residence. SS Commander Heinrich Himmler... 
Um, let me try to see who the actor was because he was good. Eddie Marsan. Um, he's an English actor. He looked familiar. Let me see. Oh, gosh, his he has a lot on his Wikipedia listing. Um, let me see. Deadpool 2 as the headmaster. I don't remember that. Um, he looks familiar. So I don't know what else I've seen him in. Maybe Deadpool 2. Maybe Deadpool 2. I don't know. But he's an English actor. And he he's good in the movie because he plays a creep. He plays the head of the SS. Uh, the Schutzstaffel. Um, according to Wikipedia. And there's a very chilling scene where he talks about... Uh, it's It's... You know, if this if this makes a trigger warning about the Holocaust, but he talks about um, how they were euthanizing disabled children, and they were like, even with the injection. I'm gonna try to no, I'm not. I shouldn't try a German accent, but if it comes out, it comes out. Um, these German scientists tried to euthanize these disabled children but they could only do 10 in an hour but hopefully we are building more sophisticated machines to do to do the job at a more ex expedited pace you know that was not a german accent but and something in my house just fell i hope everyone is all right um but nothing can stop this podcast nothing except perhaps prime gaming and when Himmler is telling this at dinner at the exiled Kaiser's house or residence, both the Kaiser Wilhelm II and Captain Jai Courtney are like bothered by this. So it shows that not everyone is behind, you know, Hitler. And again, I'm sure a lot of people in Hitler's army were ruled like they didn't want to be shot they didn't want to be killed so they just followed orders but these two people didn't um, agree with Himmler so Himmler comes to the residence and he basically tells the Kaiser that you know we are going to reinstate your rule you can come back to Berlin and he's like ecstatic about it but then he tells Captain Jai Courtney and his buddy that this is a deception. This is only to um, to bring out everyone who supports the restoration, and then we're going to, I guess, kill them. So then Jai Courtney, his heart grows three times bigger than it is, and he's like, he tells, he essentially tells the Kaiser that it's a deception. So they end up supporting Lily James, and they help Lily James escape. So again, it's kind of a little cheesy, but a little touching at the same time. And both the Kaiser and Jai Courtney, they help her escape, and she ends up pregnant. I'm assuming it's with Jai Courtney, because um, that would be kind of fucked up if she's pregnant, but with some other dude. But Jai Courtney sends word to Kaiser Wilhelm that she's still alive. She made it out to Brit to Britain. And it's kind of a happy ending. So 
I don't know. It, it was an okay movie. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Lily James. Um, you know what's funny is I remember seeing... Because the first time I saw Lily James was in the trailer for Cinderella. And I remember seeing that trailer. And, you know, the... What's the word? The asshole part of me was like, I don't like this trailer because I don't think Cinderella is pretty enough, which is, you know, obviously an, a terrible, arrogant thought. Um, I shouldn't even be saying it out loud, but I'm trying to be honest here. And then my wife wanted to see Cinderella and we both loved it. And to this day, I think Cinderella is definitely one of the best Disney live action movies, if not the best. And if it's not, it's only second to maybe Jungle Book. But it's definitely up there. Um, I would have to watch Cinderella and Jungle Book back to back. But Cinderella is way up there. I really liked Cinderella. And I loved her in it. Um... And then now I'm just a big fan of Lily James. Um, I should watch that um, Pam biopic, Pam and Tommy, even though Pat Walsh said it's not good. But so it's always nice to see her and it's nice to see her here as well. Um, sorry if I spoiled the ending to exception. So, you know, check it out if you want to see a quote unquote happy ending of a movie that kind of deals it's not it doesn't deal with the holocaust directly but it does deal with the uh, same time frame as the holocaust you know so worth watching i'm uh, sure jay courtney you know i remember pat walsh referred to daniel the james bond guy daniel craig as a piece of meat and that's kind of how I feel about Jai Courtney. I don't think he was great in this, but he he was kind of played a intimidating captain type, and he played it fine. No one, no one's doing a German accent really. Maybe Christopher Plummer kind of. That always um, bothers me. I'll just try to be real quick with this, but I hate when there are movies that, for example, Schindler's List, like. They wouldn't be speaking English, you know, but the whole movie is speaking English. And I understand you want as many people to watch this as possible. And you want the path of least resistance for people to watch and understand the movie to be accessible to most. I get it, but I I hate it because, you know, they wouldn't be speaking English. Um, you know, they would be speaking Polish and German I apologize if that's not accurate um, to say. But even like I was fascinated with the, the 33 miners in Chile. I was fascinated. I, I couldn't sleep at night. I was watching the live footage of them rescuing the 33 Chilean miners. I was like, damn, this is awesome. And then they come out with that biopic with like um, Lou Diamond Phillips, I think. And they're all speaking like English, but in a... I guess, Chilean accent. I'm like, I, I have no interest in watching this. Um, and I loved that in 
Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings or whatever, I love that the first 25 or 30 minutes, they're straight up speaking uh, Mandarin, I think is the language. And they just respected, they just said, we're going to straight up speak Mandarin and put up subtitles. I love that. And they just said, you know, the audience is smart enough to read fucking subtitles. And they weren't speaking in English. You know, they were eventually um, in the later half of the movie. But I love that the first 25 minutes were straight up, you know, Mandarin. But anyway, um, it's just weird that an exiled Kaiser and a captain, a German captain, are speaking English. And they're, they were barely doing German accents. And then um, Chernobyl... As, as well done as that series was, and I loved it a lot. But they weren't even doing Ukrainian accents. They were just British people speaking English in, German, in, in British accents. Really bizarre. Um, I don't know. I don't mind reading subtitles. I actually prefer to watch, when I do watch anime, and I don't watch a lot of anime, but when I do, I prefer to watch in Japanese original audio with English subtitles, except for Cowboy Bebop, because the English audio is the bee's knees, as they say. Let's move on to the exception. From the exception. Actually... Briefly, I wanted to talk about the alligator because I realized in my bonus beat episode that I talked about alligator, but all I said was I liked the movie, I liked the practical effects, I liked Robert Forster. I didn't really talk about the movie much, which I I was thinking after the fact. That was kind of a shame. I didn't even say what, what the movie was about, but basically at the top of the movie, there's this little girl who loves reptiles so she's seeing a demonstration with an alligator and the alligator incidentally ends up attacking the trainer but she's fascinated with it so she ends up bringing home a baby alligator and the her father comes home and is like what the fuck what's this alligator doing here so he ends up flushing the alligator down this the toilet and then there's a the plot ensues where there is this kind of crazy scientist guy who is experimenting on, I guess, dogs and injecting hormones to them where the dogs are getting big, but the dogs end up dying. And this pet, uh, pet shop veter, uh, I don't know if he's a veterinarian or something, he ends up He's working with the guy, and he kind of throws these enlarged dogs down the sewer where the alligator apparently eats the dogs and gets the hormone injected into himself. Well, he eats the dogs that are enlarged, and he gets larger and larger and larger. Also, there's a scene where the alligator kind of attacks this pet shop owner guy, And it reminded me a lot of Newman in Jurassic Park. So I wonder if this scene and this character was a direct influence on Newman in Jurassic Park. Uh, 
so the way he has like the flash the flashlight in the sewer and he falls down etc um and then robert forster plays kind of a a grizzled cop who used to have a partner and now he works alone and he's investigating this and the alligator is kind of it's kind of like a serial killer movie but the serial killer is this alligator and robin Riker plays a um kind of like a reptile expert so she ends up working with robert forster and they and in a romance ensues and they get together and they have to take this large very large gigantic alligator on and they have to kill it eventually because it keeps killing people and uh, it's a fun movie and i love the practical effects and i recommend it and joe de rosa liked it so much that he bought the movie on amazon um i don't know if i'd ever wa- watch it again but i liked it it was fun i liked the practical effects um next i watched i finished the working girls the working girls is a 1974 sexploitation film written and directed by stephanie rothman starring sarah kennedy laurie rose and cassandra peterson the plot summary on wikipedia is one sentence it's three women sharing an apartment in los angeles are all endangered by the men in their lives that's not a very good plot summary, so I know anyone can edit this, but whoever wrote that should be shot. Again, I would never condone violence, but whoever wrote that sentence should be shot. Um, not dead, but just, you know, stunned, maybe. So, you know, the only recognizable name in this is Cassandra Peterson, but first... I want to talk about Steph- Stephanie Rothman because she wrote and directed this. Um, this is her description on Wikipedia. Stephanie Ro- oh gosh. Stephanie Rothman is an American film director, producer, and screenwriter known for her low-budget independent exploitation films made in the 1960s and 1970s, especially The Students, Nurses, and Terminal Island. Um... I want to point out something because um, there was a comment that I saw um, on here. There's a section on the Wikipedia page that says acclaim. And she wrote, I was never happy making exploitation films, said Rothman later. I did it because it was the only way I could work. However, her movies have come to receive much critical appraisal, particularly from feminist writers such as Pam Cook and Claire Johnson. She was honored with a retrospective at the 2007 Vienna International Film Festival. So, like, this reminds me of the movie I watched. I think it was called The Big Dollhouse with Pam Greer. And... um. Pam Greer, like, and I, I, again, I don't claim to speak on behalf of women, and I don't want to be offended by women, but there was a scene in that movie where she was groped behind 
prison bars and this guy like um, full on touches Pam Greer and gropes her like breasts through the prison bars. And I was just like, there was no way to fake that. Um, she technically got groped and I get, I get it. It's for a movie, but I just started thinking like, you know, these, and then you might think, well, these women agreed with the message. These women agreed with the movie because they agreed to be, they agreed to act in it. But at the same time I said, I thought, well, you know, that's not true. Maybe they, they did it because that's the only way they could work. So in the case of Stephanie Rothman, she has a quote where she's like, it's the only way I could work. So I wrote and directed sexploitation films. And I know that's not all women. And that's not all women who work in film. Some people genuinely write and direct projects that they like and they want to make and they enjoy it. But I'm just I'm just pointing it out. Um, the Working Girls is it's not a good movie. I'm going to go ahead and say, I will say it's a a bizarre movie. It has some absurd scenes. The writing is not great, I'm sorry to say. Um, Sarah Kennedy plays the main character. Her name is Honey in the movie. Um, Years active, according to Wikipedia, is 1971 to 1981. So apparently she's out of the game. But the movie opens with her character, Honey. She goes into a diner and orders a meal. She eats the meal and then she goes up to the manager and she says, I'm sorry to say this, but I don't have any money to pay you. And he's like, well, what else can you do for me? And basically she ends up going, oh, there is that. And he goes, yeah, I get off at six. There is that. And she goes, no, I don't want to wait till six. I want to do it now. So she strips and tries to like, I guess, return the favor, like pay him through sex. And he's like, no, you're crazy lady. And she, he pushes her out the door. And that's how the movie opens. And I would say this movie is, has some comedy scenes, some black, dark comedy. And some of it is funny. It's just an awkward movie. And it feels like a porno without the porn and maybe that's the definition of sexploitation film i'm not sure it's not even really uh softcore porn it just feels like the scenarios they go through it feels like a porno movie it feels like they're about to bone down but they never do um cassandra peterson plays a stripper at a club and there is a scene where she dances and strips nude. And um, Honey goes to a, a place where this girl named Denise, played by Lori Rose, whose name is not clickable on Wikipedia. She's like painting an ad like um, room for rent. And Honey is like, is there really a room for rent? And Denise is like, yeah, but here are the rules. And Honey's like, oh, I don't like those rules. I'm going to leave. And Denise is like, well, where are you going to go? And Honey's like, I don't know, but I don't have any money. And Denise is like, well, you can stay with me, which, which is already absurd. Like a person you just met, you're going to invite them to live with you in your home. Um, they have another roommate named Jill, 
played by Lynn Guthrie, whose name is also not clickable on Wikipedia. Um, Jill works at the club where Cassandra Peterson works, but she's a server. And Cassandra Peterson and I think the manager of the club convince Jill to become a stripper, so she does. And she has a similar scene to Cassandra Peterson where she kind of does a little dance act and strips. There's also a, an, a character named Nick who comes by to the club and demands money from the manager. The movie's kind of nuts, you know, and then Nick and Denise, uh, no, I'm sorry, Nick and Jill become an item in an inexplicable scene. They're like arguing and then very next scene they're in a pool naked together. There's just... Maybe that's the definition of of sexploitation film. Just like nudity and nonsensicalness, absurdity. It's hard for me to recount the plot, even though I kind of sort of recounted the plot so far. Uh, It's not great. It's not a good movie. Um, At the end, there's this character named Vernon, which there was a weird scene where Vernon wants to hire Honey, and Honey gets into the car with him, and he puts a, f- a donut into his mouth, but he doesn't bite down. And then he offers the said donut to Honey. He said, you want a donut? And she says, no, and he just puts the donut down. The movie is just kind of absurd, but there there are some laughs in it also, and there's nudity if you're a sick pervert and you're into that. I don't know anyone who would watch movies with nudity in it, like seriously. Uh, let's uh, let's move on from that. The next movie I watched is Black Snake Moan, where Christina Ricci appears nude in the movie. Black Snake Moan is a 2006 American film written and directed by Craig Brewer and starring Samuel L. Jackson, Christina Ricci, and sadly, Justin Timberlake. Craig Brewer um, is an American film director. He is of Irish, English, and Spanish descent. I'm not saying that... um, (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and say, I thought Craig Brewer was a black man. Um, I'm not saying that white men can't make black movies but i was just surprised because quentin tarantino makes a lot of movies starring black people and that's great and he makes great movies and i'm sure craig brewer makes great movies too that star black people i was just surprised that's all i'm saying like he made hustle and flow which i haven't seen black snake moan Um, And he made Dolomite is my name and coming to America. I was just surprised. I started a special features um, video and I was just surprised that he was white. Uh, Maybe that's wrong to think, wrong to say, but I don't know. Black Snake Moan. um, So Christina Ricci plays a character named Ray. And she has a sex addiction. She is a nymphomaniac. Or, um, yes. 
and Samuel L. Jackson plays a a black man, an older black man. He's his wife is leaving him, I guess, for his younger brother. And Samuel L. Jackson finds Ray, played by Christina Ricci, by the side of the road, beaten up. She's like half naked. She's in her underwear and in a short, a small shirt. Her face is down. Her face is beaten up. He goes to see if she's okay. And he, she like coughs and startles him. And he takes her into his home. And he tries to get her better. And then when he investigates, he finds out that she has this problem. That she has like this sex addiction thing. And he decides to chain her to his home. And he's a very religious man and a moral man. So he says, God put you in my path and you have troubles and I am going to help cure you of your troubles. And so at first, obviously, they are at ends at I can never get this phrase right at odds with each other. But eventually, like he shows her that he doesn't mean any harm. He just wants to help her. But like most people with a problem, she's like, you know, I don't have a problem. I, da 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 da. That's the plot. And the reason why I thought Craig Brewer was a black man is because this movie is like all about like a like black America, and um, there's a lot with blues. And like Mississippi blues. And I'm just like, this is, it just screamed like black America. And I just thought that it was directed by a black man. That's all I'm saying. I should move on. I don't mean any offense by that. I'm just saying. And um, so this movie, I felt like tonally, it felt all over the place. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. I don't know if I'd ever watch it again either, but um, let me just say, I think I've decided that I despise Justin Timberlake as an actor. Um, I'm sorry. That's just how I feel. This I didn't know he was in this movie. He, I believe he opens the movie and he's having sexual relations with Christina Ricci's character. They are an item. And he is leaving because he is part of the military. He has to leave. She begs him not to go. But he has to leave. But before he goes, he has he has stomach issues. He has to throw up. And she kind of comforts him. But he has to leave for the military. But immediately, she, she has this sex addiction. So she starts, like, getting that dick from anywhere she can get it. Um... And, you know, there's some funny moments in this movie. The funniest moment of which, where I laughed, was when Samuel L. Jackson has a preacher friend. And he tells him to go into the house to talk to Ray and um, just talk to her. And then Samuel L. Jackson, his character's name is Lazarus. He says, you better watch yourself. That girl be on your dick, 
like a stank on shit. And that made me laugh a lot. Um, so there's some funny moments in this movie. But then this movie, you know, there's a scene where Ray confronts her mom at like a, I don't know if it's a, like a 7-Eleven type thing. And she, she just wants her to acknowledge that she knew. Ray doesn't want her mom to apologize. She just like, she doesn't want her abuse because she was abused. That's another thing. She has a history of abuse. Like her father um, abused her, I guess, as a child. I'm assuming sexually assaulted her, raped her as a child, which led to her having this kind of sexual addiction because she can't separate her thoughts with the action and she like needs um, sexual attention from anywhere she can get it. So there's a scene where she confronts her mom. She's like, I don't need an apology from you. I just, I just need you to admit that you knew. Just admit it. And then her mom's basically like, um, the only thing I want to admit is that my parents were right, that I shouldn't have had you. So Ray gets super upset and starts beating her like with a mop. I think a mop. And then Samuel L. Lazarus comes in and saves her again. Um, there's a lot of this movie where Lazarus is straight up performing songs. And he performs at home by himself. He performs for Ray at his house. He performs for people at his friend's bar. Um... He plays guitar while Ray sings um, that Sunshine song. Um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So there's like a lot of music in it. So that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of different tones in this movie. There's like, it almost feels like music videos at some point. It feels like a, a psychological drama when she's confronting her mom it feels like a comedy sometimes because there's funny moments. There's a young black kid who goes into his house, doesn't know what's going on, and then Ray can't help herself. She takes off her shirt, and then presumably they have sexual relations, coitus, if you will. And I was curious to see how old this kid was because I was assuming he was a child. Um... 16 17 maybe but he, i think this might be the only movie he has been in so there's not a lot of information of who, his name is like neiman or something neiman marcus and um i don't know how old he was i'm like is this movie is there a pedophilia scene in this movie i don't know i i couldn't find out but in terms of performances, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is always good. Christina Ricci is always good. Back to Justin Timberlake. I don't like him as an actor. Um, to be fair, I didn't give him a chance in this movie because I didn't want to give him a chance in this movie. He was the worst thing about... Is it Shrek the Third? I don't like his voice speaking. Like as a, he should He should just stay with him as a musician is my opinion you know sexy back 
if I listen to it now, it's a great song. It is. And, you know, Admit It or Not, NSYNC songs are catchy and good. He was the worst part of the Shrek franchise. He's the worst part of this movie by far. Um, at, at one point, he's, you know, pointing a gun, shouting at Lazarus. He's supposed to beat up his friend, and he's supposed to... There's nothing intimidating about him at all. His voice is so unnaturally high, it's borderline falsetto. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean, and I know someone saying I don't mean to be mean as they're being mean is ironic. I don't know what to say. I didn't like him in this movie. I don't like him as an actor. Uh, let's move on. But I, I like the movie. The movie is enjoyable. Um, Christina Ricci does appear nude in the movie if you're into that. If you're some kind of sicko like that, you know, disgusting. Anyway, just to recap, this movie beat um, Lily James appeared nude in The Exception. Cassandra Peterson appeared nude in The Working Girls. Um, I don't have it on me, but there was another woman who appeared nude in The Working Girls. I forgot her name. And Christina Ricci appeared nude in Black Snake Moan. Ironic because the subject of this episode is a kid's movie, the Angry Birds movie. But I did warn you up up top. I did say this podcast is not for kids. So technically, it's on you. You know, it's just bad parenting. It's not on me. Bitch. All right, let's move on to the Angry Birds movie. Got a, I got a notification that Angry Birds movie... I got a notification that said the Angry Birds movie is leaving Tubi soon. And I thought that movie is based on a video game. Um, I haven't, I've never seen it. Well, why not check it out and talk about it on this podcast? Um, the Angry Birds movie, also known simply as Angry Birds, is a 2016 computer animated comedy film based on Rovio, Rovio Entertainment's video game series of the same name produced by Columbia Pictures and Rovio Animation and distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. Directed by Clay Cadis and Fergal Riley in their directorial debuts written by John VT. Let's look at Clay Clay Cadis. Um... Jesus Christ. He has been the head of animation at Walt Disney Animation Studios? What the fuck? Um, uh, where can I read this? Um, Clay. They're not on the... He's not on the Wikipedia page. Um... So he made, he directed the Angry Birds movie, directorial debut with Fergal Riley. Um, he directed the Christmas Chronicles. I'm. It says he has been the head of animation at Walt Disney Studios. I. He became the head of animation. Okay, he left the studio in 2013. 
the the reason why I'm confused by that is because I did not like the Angry Birds movie. I thought it was quite bad. So how is it possible that um, the guy who was um, the head of animation for Walt Disney's Animation Studios for 19 years direct, directed this bad movie? Uh, Fergal Riley is an Irish film director, storyboard artist, voice actor, and an animator best known for directing the animated film The Angry Birds Movie. Um, that's his big. That's his biggest um, credit. Is this movie written by John Vitti? He sounds familiar. He worked. He wrote a lot of Simpsons. 1990, Bart the Genius. He wrote a lot of early Simpsons. Alright, I don't know what went went wrong with this movie. But I, I had a rough time with this movie. Let's go through the cast list. The film features the voices of Jason Sudeikis, Josh Gad, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, Kate McKinnon, Sean Penn, Tony Hale, Keegan-Michael Key, Bill Hader, and Peter Dinklage. Alright, so let me, let me try to get through this. The movie opens with Jason Sudeikis' character um, named Red. He... I guess he's doing this job where he's supposed to deliver a cake to a birthday party. And he's, you know, he's, it's a whole slap, slapstick comedy sequence where he's trying to get there and he's like falling and tripping and getting flung. And then by the time he gets there, he's late. He dresses up like a clown and then the parents like, you're late. And when he opens the quote-unquote box shaped as an egg with a cake in it, there's a squirrel eating it. And the opening, I thought, was very dumb. There's a gluten joke in the opening. He's like, I busted my butt to bring this gluten-free cake here in a timely manner. What is gluten-free? What does that mean anyway? What is gluten? And I'm like, isn't this supposed to be a, a fucking kids movie um why is there a gluten joke in the beginning of this movie in the opening of this movie and then right after this i think the title card comes out if that's what you call a title card i don't think it's called a title card i apologize for calling it a title card but it says the angry birds movie and then the next scene is a is set in the bird's equivalent of a courtroom. Why is there a courtroom sequence in a children's movie? This is what I don't get. Like, again, going back to John Vitti of Simpsons fame and um, Clay Cadis of Walt Disney Animation Studios fame and director Fergal Riley, this is how you open your movie? Um, and I, I don't care that it's the Angry Birds movie, a, a PG children's movie. 
um i'm gonna call it out like i don't i don't care i'm I'm not i don't know let's proceed there's a courtroom sequence that's very dumb and then he's sentenced to anger management class red is sentenced to anger management class the worst thing about this movie by far i think is the puns I was so disturbed by the puns at the top of this movie because the worst one of all is Red says, pluck my life. Clearly a pun for fuck my life. Again, this is a PG children's movie. And I'm not saying I was, I'm not saying it's I was offended by it. I'm saying it's disturbing that they put in pluck my life in a kid's movie because kids are obviously gonna think it's it means fuck my life a bunch of chicks are crossing a crossroad like a bunch of chicks and then red goes have you ever thought about bird control which is obviously a pun for birth control um at one point pigs are taking selfies of themselves and they go for the insta ham just recalling all of these puns is exhausting for me. Um, I really hated all of the puns. They're by far the worst part of the movie. This is the thing, though. Red, for me, that I can think of, is the worst main character in all of children's animation movies, for sure, that I can think of. But possibly the worst main character of all time and that's the thing like they 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 were trying to characterize him as red an angry bird but i don't i don't even think he was all that angry he was like he was like chandler with he was very quippy very sarcastic very rude very annoying but he wasn't very I didn't I wouldn't consider him angry like he got angry at times but this is at the beginning of the plot summary red an angry bird has been an outcast from bird island ever since he was a hatchling due to his short temper and his huge jet black eyebrows um like when I think of angry well, like when I think of a good example of an angry character, I I automatic for some reason I automatically think of I can't think of his name. I'm looking it up. The main character from Up. Um, Carl. That doesn't ring a bell. I guess his name was Carl. Um, Carl Fredrickson. But. I mean, I don't even know how long it was, but let's say a, fi- a five-minute perfect intro. They show a little bit of his history as a kid. They show his love for Ellie. And then they show a spoiler. I won't, I won't spoil up for you, but it's, it's a great movie. But they show... It's so short and beautiful and concise, and they show how... Um, why he's angry 
and why he's an old, grumpy, angry man at the at the beginning of that film. And they do the complete opposite job in this movie. Red is, he's just annoying. And I just, I didn't think there was anything redeeming about his character. And I think they tried to show it, like they showed flashbacks how people made fun of him because of his eyebrows and they would call him eyebrows and i guess that that's why he's now an angry bird but i just didn't i wouldn't characterize him as angry i would just say he's annoying sarcastic and quippy and he always has i mean it's basically jason sudeikis um the way he talks like obviously he voices the character but jason sudeikis every character he's ever played that's red but he's not like angry like he's not um i'm sorry for constantly uh, referencing disney films disney and pixar films but they just they know how to write a story but um lewis black that's anger that, that that's that's what anger is um red is not, not anger um he's chandler as a bird chandler bird and i just feel like the writing uh, that's the thing like john vd your writing should be better than this why why did you do such a great job in um the simpsons but then he did like he wrote alan alvin and the chipmunks the squeakle Maybe he, so he's been writing since 1990. It doesn't say how old he is, but maybe he's just an older guy who doesn't care anymore. And then everyone is like, well, he's a legend, you know. He wrote in the 90s for Simpsons. Let's get him to write. Um, let's get him to write um, the Angry Birds movie. And then John Navidi is like, in his bathtub, he gets a call. He's like, oh, what? You want me Angry Birds? Okay, I'll, I'll write it while um, falling asleep. Uh, I think the writing in this movie is pretty terrible. And, and I don't care that it's a children's movie because uh, Disney and Pixar can has proven that you can write movies that are not only enjoyable for children and adults but they can be written in an intelligent and in a solid way and this movie is the opposite of intelligent opposite of solid and there are pivotal moments in this script that i just thought were egregious because the the pigs coming to this bird island is so it's so fucking random there's no hint at these pigs coming there's the, you know, there's all this stuff at the beginning about Red needing to go to anger management class. And they introduce the rest of the birds, the angry birds. So there's Chuck, played by um, Josh Gad, who's just very fast. He's hyperactive, who can move at hypervelocity, according to this Wikipedia. And Bomb who can play who can explode played by um danny mcbride 
there's also Terrence, who just speaks in grunts, who's played by Sean Penn. I don't understand why they cast Sean Penn in this role at all. He doesn't say one word. He just grunts. He does sing a little bit at the end, but um, that was that was sung by Nolan North of Uncharted fame. So this role by Sean Penn, it just it reminds me of Vin Diesel's roles as Groot, which that's actually more substantial because he could at least say Groot in different inflections, like "I am Groot," "I am Groot," "I am Groot," like. Um, and then Sylvester Stallone, his performance as the King Shark in the Suicide movie, but Sean Penn literally growls and grunts. So I don't understand his casting in that role at all. Um, So there's some scenes in anger management class. And then one day the pigs come to the island. There's no foreshadowing. There's no explanation. They just come to the island. Um, And then Red is not suspicious of these pigs at all. He he's just continues to do his quips and he's irritable and he's sarcastic and then they the the leader of the pigs played by um, Bill Hader King Leonard he ends up flinging Red he flings him away like with a slingshot or something and he ends up in front of the ship. And again, there's no clue that Red is suspicious or anything. And then because Chuck, the speedy speedy bird Gonzalez, speedy birdzales, comes over to by Red because he's super fast, and then he goes, You wanna you wanna sneak onto the ship, don't you? But I mean I get that it's a children's movie, but you have to have basic stuff in there. Red, there should have been moments where Red was like, I don't trust these guys, or why did they come here? They do that later, but there's there's no clue why, there's no hint that Red want, is suspicious and wants to get, get on that ship until Chuck goes, you want to sneak onto that ship, don't you? And then Chuck speeds back, and then he comes back, and then, to the town and he comes back and he goes bomb is coming so the three of them sneak onto the ship and then they realize that there's a there's a gang of pigs waiting hiding on the ship and then so red comes back and he goes hey everybody i snuck onto the ship and there's a bunch of the pigs there like he needs to explain himself but the rest of the the birds are like you snuck onto the ship so they boo him and then um, eventually it's revealed that the the pigs are all trying to steal the eggs and then they leave and then they all start praising Red. But I don't understand because there's nothing redeeming about Red. There's no reason why he should become a hero. There's no logic reasoning there's no conceivable reason why he would want to help 
his fellow birds, you know? There's, you know, he doesn't have any eggs of himself. He has no partner. He has no kids. So why is he, why does he become a hero at the end of this? Why does he try so hard to um, help his fellow birds? I I really don't get it. And this is just simple logic stuff that should be there in the writing. Um, At one point, the three of them try to, they climb up this tall mountain to try to get up to Mighty Eagle, who is this, I guess, legendary um, heroic eagle. I will I wanted to say that I didn't smile, I didn't laugh throughout this whole movie, but unfortunately that's not true. Um so there's a sequence when um they go up to the mighty eagle and there's this like lake and Bomb and Chuck are like spitting into each other's mouths. I didn't laugh there, I didn't smile there. But um, Mighty Eagle comes out and he's looking all mighty and then he ends up taking a long, long piss. And then so Bomb and Chuck are like um, disgusted by this. But then I thought that's kind of offensive to people who have a urine fetish, you know? Anyway, um, I didn't laugh throughout any of this either, but I can acknowledge like that's kind of funny. But then I I can see how kids would maybe laugh at this. There's a bunch of like slapstick stuff in it and I can get kids laughing at it. The the first time I I I laughed twice at the movie. Very sl- well the first one was a little laugh and second one was a slightly bigger. But there is a sequence towards the end of the movie where they start so they, um, the pigs steal all the eggs and they leave. And then the birds build their own boat and they go over to Pig Island. And they start flinging birds towards the castle, King Leonard's castle. And that sequence is kind of cool. I'll give it that, you know. And I I, I didn't play the game a lot, but I, I am familiar with the game where you fling the birds over to the pigs and you have to destroy buildings whatever so the end sequence is kind of cool but um they fling um (laughs) judge peckinpah played by keegan michael keegan michael key and when (laughs) when they fling him judge peckinpah goes judge power and for whatever reason that made me laugh and he's holding his gavel um it was just very silly and it kind of made me laugh the second time i laughed was it wasn't even anything in the movie um terrence who is played by sean penn terrence is like this huge bird and he's he's getting ready to fling himself on the slingshot and i thought he was gonna get stuck in the slingshot i thought he was going to get stuck and that made me laugh but he didn't get stuck he ends up um pulling so hard on the slingshot that he breaks the slingshot and it's not even a funny part in the mo in the movie it's like everyone's very heartbroken 
that the slingshot breaks because they can't continue their attack on the pig town. But anyway, so the birds continue their attack on pig town to get the, the eggs back. And Red is somehow the de facto leader and he is aided by Chuck and Baum and Terrence. And, you know, at one point, one blue egg gets separated from the rest of the eggs. Mighty Eagle comes to help and they fly away with the net of eggs. Um, Chuck is flinging all over the place and they Chuck also steals a segment from Days of Future Past where he goes super fast and everything else goes slow motion. It's a short scene, but it's stolen from Days of Future Past, which came out in 2014. Um, this movie came out in 2016. Also, Sonic the Hedgehogs kind of stole that segment from Days of Future Past. But I understand you got a you got a movie about about a fast character. It's par for the course, if that's the right phrase. So at one point, one blue egg gets separated from the pack, and then Red kind of sacrifices himself to save the blue egg. He lights all this dynamite on. He lights this dynamite and he gets shielded by this big golden pot and he destroy essentially destroys the city of Pigtown. And all the little birdie eggs are saved and Red saves the little blue egg, which has three little bluebirds in it. Red ends up a hero and and I, I will admit it's kind of a touching ending because Red has been an outcast his whole life, even into adulthood, and his house is like separated from everyone else. But then the rest of the town kind of rebuild his house within every. It's like next to everyone else's home, so he's part of the pack as well. And then all the little birdies are singing a song praising Red. It's kind of a touching ending, it's fine. Um, there's some like after credit scenes and King Leonard is plotting a new plan. The pigs survived their home's destruction. There is a Angry Birds movie too. I will watch it for this podcast, but I am not excited to. Um, the, f- the film grossed, came out in 2019. It grossed less than its predecessor, but received a positive response from critics with many considering it an improvement over its predecessor, which is good to hear. Um, To me, mainly, I just found logic issues in this movie and characterization issues because, like, for example, in Up, I I can understand the redemption of Carl's character where he's kind of grump at the beginning of the movie, but he kind of... I, I, It makes sense that he becomes a hero by the end of the movie. And there are ways to make a good, solid, logical story that, like, I didn't need this movie to be entertaining for me. And I can fully acknowledge and accept that this movie could have been geared towards children and only enjoyed by children and not enjoyed by adults like me. But I just thought the character of Red was bad. There's some logic issues with this movie. 
I don't understand. It didn't make sense for him to even become a hero at the end. It it didn't make sense to me. There's nothing in his character that would motivate him to help these, his fellow birds. At one point, he's like, we need to save our eggs. I'm like, this, you're not part of this. You were always mean to these birds. Why are all of a sudden, why do you even want to help them? You're, you're a prick. You're a prick, Red. You're a fucking prick. I cannot recommend this movie. I think there are parts that kids would enjoy. And I think kids would enjoy the the end sequence where they're flinging birds into the pig town. Um, and if you if you want a movie that I would recommend where they take a game with essentially very little plot and made it into a great movie, I would recommend. I always recommend Rampage. There was some story bits like in the text, but basically it was giant animal monsters destroying buildings, and they made it into a very fun, entertaining movie. Um, you know, I th- I think kids would enjoy this movie, but I also think this movie is kind of insulting to even to children's intelligences because. I I could I could imagine young kids going like I don't get it Red's a Red's an asshole why is he helping the other birds um me I don't care that I'm, I'm overthinking the Angry Birds movie I don't care um I can still watch it and think about it intelligently I think I think that's part of the fun of this podcast. But I will watch the Angry Birds movie too. Hopefully not anytime soon. That's all I got. Um, I didn't like the movie. If you like Final Fantasy VII, please check out youtube.com slash odddrummergaming. If you like drums and video games, please check out youtube.com slash drumj8. Thank you for listening. I hope everything is well with you. Take care of yourselves. Stay cool. It is rather hot right now. Um, I hope everything is okay with you and your partner and your friends and family and your pets, especially. Don't abandon your fucking friends. I hope your pets are well and thriving. Um, Please... Um, don't be red. Don't be a fucking prick. Don't be a sarcastic, quippy, irritable asshole like Red is in the Angry Birds movie. Thanks for listening. Say hi to your pets for me.